Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 204 of the Keep Moving Forward podcast. Me, your host, Anthony DiDomenico, coming to you live every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on Facebook, also live on Instagram, over at Comic Anthony D. And as always, the podcast is available at anchor.fm slash KMF podcast. That's right. New hosting site. We're over at Anchor now. Really excited to be there. Um, so you can check it out. Anchor.fm slash KMF podcast. There is a bonus episode I recorded yesterday. It is available on the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash KMF podcast. Definitely go and check that out. Bill Bar is releasing new sales, especially for the holiday. You can save at least 10% off your order. That's right. If they're running a promotion and they're giving 10% off, you can use my code, get an additional 10%. That's 20%. There's some math for you. BuiltBar.com. Use code WWBROPODCAST. Sail away coffee. I think the sleigh ride flavor is still available. The peppermint mocha, it's absolutely delicious. Got to go check it out. Sailawaycoffee.com. Use code WWBRO10. Save 10% off your order there. I still have the live link in my Go uh, in my link tree for John Ziegler's GoFundMe. Uh, John is battling cancer; he's fighting really hard, and every little bit helps. I know this time of year is tough with money and everything, but if you have it, anything to give, it's very appreciated. John appreciates it all, and I, I see who donates, and you guys are absolutely amazing uh, coming through with the support. So it's on my link tree over at Comic Anthony D on Instagram. Definitely go and check that out. Um, not going to talk too much more about it. every every week I go on and on about it. I think it just gets depressing. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep doing that, but I do have another good friend on the podcast tonight. He is a comedian. He, um, that's really it. He doesn't really do anything else. I'm just kidding. Brian Mar, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I just I, said that cause I was looking at you. You look at that. I want to see if you were paying attention. Yeah, no, I was just putting up a plug for uh, your pocket. You know, this is the treatment that I get. I, I come in here last minute under the weather that the saxophone is from me first and the gimme gimme's bailed on you. And now I'm here to fill in for you. And, no, uh, that's the treatment I get. You know what it was? I wasn't going to have a guest on tonight. Um, and then I know you do the the live wrestling signings on Monday night. You, you told yeah. me that you came down with COVID. Yeah. So I knew you'd be home. I said, let me get Ryan on the show. I haven't talked to him, you know, face to face in front of a lot of people before. No, I appreciate it, man. It's uh, it's cool. I was kind of bummed because I was looking forward to doing that uh, with the 80s Wrestling Con crew. We've been doing it now. God, I think coming up on a year, um, it started as just something to do during the pandemic and it kind of exploded, for lack of a better term. And these virtual signings are a lot of fun. They become like, you know, almost like a wrestling shoot interview type thing. And uh you know, just the best part about doing them is interacting with like all these fans in different parts of the country, you know, and, and seeing their memories. And it's not like I mean, because you're a big wrestling fan, so you know yeah. how it is. You know, I'm sure if you're wearing one of your WWE T-shirts or something, somebody will say to you, oh, I remember the Macho Man or I remember Hulk Hogan. It's casual. But with these fans, even some that aren't fans of the current product, they'll be like, well, I was at you know, the Richfield Coliseum for this. And it's just so cool to see these guys connect with their fans. And I can tell that it does a lot for the performers themselves, uh, aside from the fans, like, you know, cause a lot of these guys, you got to remember too, like some of them haven't been on TV in over 20 years, but they still have this huge following and nostalgia is huge right now. So it's a lot of fun. And, uh, if I can't be there with them, I might as well be here with you. That's exactly what I was thinking. But, no, but seriously, you, I mean, you're not just having guys on that were, you know, you see these signings where it's like, 
you see the guy, like, I don't remember him ever doing anything, but they have a picture of him with Hulk Hogan or some guy like that. Like, yeah. like okay, you you have on legitimate legends, WWE Hall of Famers, and just yeah. people who have really sculpted the wrestling business. I mean, you had Barry Winterbond last week, right? Yeah. And well, you know, the credit for all that, uh, and they're actually live right now, too. Uh, Tommy Fierro, he's a Jersey guy. I've, I, it's funny because I've been involved in the wrestling business in some capacity since I was like 15 years old, whether that be setting up the ring, ring announcing, managing, whatever. And Tommy, same kind of a thing, except he was running conventions and stuff. And our paths never really crossed. We just had a lot of, you know, mutual friends mm-hmm. and whatnot. And then he hit me up during the pandemic. And the first one I did for him was Coco Beware. And then it was Ted DiBiase and Ron Simmons. And it just, so I have no hand in that. He's got all those contacts, but, um, yeah, it's cool because I actually, you know, you and I, for all your listeners out there, if they haven't seen me on your show before, we're good friends. We talk several times a week. You know my feeling on how the wrestling business has changed mm-hmm. and the independent wrestling had gotten so bad, especially in the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, that like I wanted nothing to do with it. And what Tommy's done now, aside from these conventions, is he brought back the wrestling promotion that he used to run in the 90s. And I went to a show a couple weeks ago and I was blown away because there was that mix of old school, you know, storytelling with the new style of wrestling that everyone's going nuts for. And I saw a perfect mesh of it, which I haven't really seen so far. Sometimes you go to an indie show and it's like way too old and carny or you go and it's just a bunch of guys in kick pads doing flips. (laughs) Tommy had a perfect mix of like what every fan could want, you know? Oh, wow. There's, you know, the slickster WWE hall of famer. Yeah. But now here's homicide versus crowbar. And now here's Nikos Rikos and vicious Vicky and like all these new talents. So, uh, it's a pretty exciting time to be a wrestling fan with everything going on. I, I absolutely think it is. I mean, I've, you know, I've talked about it on here and I know some of my listeners probably, you know, tune out when I do, but I, I, you know, though, you know what it is though. I also, I like to draw inspiration from a lot of different places and, you know, for me, it's in a lot of it's in pro wrestling. I mean, especially yeah. if you know the backstories about a lot of things, about where these guys came from and how they came up. And, um, you know, I know you, you probably don't like CM Punk. I like CM Punk and I'm a big fan of him. And, you know, just a guy who walked away from it all seven years ago and then got the itch to come back and do it again. Um, well, it's not that I don't like CM Punk. I, I feel like, and I, you and I talked about this privately, yeah. and it has his back up against the wall. Uh, Bully Ray was talking about it on Busted Open. CM Punk was in a situation where his back was up against the wall in WWE. He, he wasn't happy, and he was able to draw inspiration from that to create that character mm-hmm. that he fell in love with, right? Yes. Now he's in a company where, oh my God, CM Punk is here. He's the star. And I'm not saying that's not deserved, because it is, but... Now it's different because now he doesn't have to have that hunger. He doesn't have to have that angst that he can turn into a promo because everybody loves him. And I think that that is uh, part of the thing. But, you know, we could talk about wrestling forever. But like you said, it's about the storytelling. It's about whatever. Uh, Liv Morgan, I love what they're doing with her, showing that whole package of her being just a girl from Jersey. She used to work at the Hooters uh, that Enzo Amore managed. They were a couple. That's how they got signed together. So just watch what they're doing with her and Becky. It, it, it's a good time to be a fan. I, I think that if you, you know, you could you could also pick and choose what you want to watch from each company. There might be three programs in AEW that are really cool, and then five that I don't like. And same with WWE. Yeah, I'm right now. I'm really into, of course, because it's CM Punk, but MJF, who's a Long Island guy, and yeah. you know, he cut an awesome promo uh, talking about Long Island, and you know, CM Punk cut one like bashing my Islanders, which was you know, it was funny, but you know, so I got I'm getting into that one, and then you know, I've been following what Roman Reigns has been doing on WWE because I think yeah. this is what I've wanted for, you know, probably since he 
gotten the main event picture, his his heel run. So um, I'm really excited about that. But I also follow what you're doing, you know, with, with the guys that you have on, because like you said, it's it's these guys I grew up watching. And there's something about, you know, that piece of your childhood that now it's in front of you. And it's like not like where it's in a, it was at like just a place where you had to buy a ticket and go. And, you know, you'd see it and be like, oh, that's really cool. I really wish I can go. And like things happen, you don't go. But yeah. now with the virtual, like you said, it's almost like a podcast slash shoot interview. Where is there any? I like speaking of podcasts. You guys have any like you know, maybe idea to to take what you're doing, cut it down, and maybe put a podcast out each week. Well, Tommy has uh, a partner that he does a podcast with. It's called Eighties Wrestling, the podcast. Okay. And I like they, they take like this past week. I didn't get to listen yet, but it was just all about the career of Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, and then each week it's a different topic. So like one week will be dedicated to a specific manager from the eighties, but it's all that eighties theme. I am working on doing my own kind of sort of thing, uh, kind of similar to what you have here, where it would be a wrestling interview show and it would be stemming from the relationships that I created with eighties wrestling con. Um, and honestly, because the best compliment that was paid to me was actually by Rikishi. And it was after the signing that we did, we had the original, uh, Samoan SWAT team head shrinkers together and he was like, hey, man, he goes, I, I want to thank you. He's like, because I can tell that you really respect, you know, what we do. And then I thought about that. And I'm like, for years, and I'm just as guilty as everybody else. You know, we always wanted that gossip. Who really hates each other? Who yeah. was uh, trying to sleep with whose wife? But then wrestling got such negative press as it is. There's already stuff out there like Dark Side of the Ring or whatever. So it's like, all right, let's leave that behind and let's focus on the positive. And you know, one of the stories that Rikishi told, and you don't have to be a wrestling fan to appreciate this. He talked about how he was in world-class championship wrestling with his cousin. He had twin boys who are now the Usos in WWE, and they get a call uh, from Jim Barnett, who was running WCW at the time. And they're like, come on over to Atlanta. We're going to give you a deal. So they pack the car up. They pack the kids into the car seats. By the time they get to Atlanta, Barnett's out. Jim Hurd is in. <laughs> So when they show up to center stage in Atlanta for the taping, they, who are you guys? Oh, well, we just left world-class championship <laughs> wrestling. We were told we have a deal. Uh, we, don't, we don't know anything about that. And he looked at them and he said, give us 30 days. That's all we're asking for. So now imagine that. Like you literally rented a pickup truck. You got your twin boys in the back seat, and now you have to fight for your job. And so when you hear stories like that – you're like, that's incredible. Like, that's the stuff that you can really draw inspiration from as opposed to all the negativity and everything that's out there. Well, that, so. that's a that's a light. That's those kind of stories I, I gravitate towards, you know, being real life success stories. I mean, that's just no matter what business you're in, you want to go comedy, um, an athlete or a- anything, even like a job. Like, give me 30 days. Like, yeah. you know, that's much pressure you're putting on yourself now. And especially if you're an entertainer or performer, you got to go out now every night. And you gotta you gotta tear the house down. That's a lot yeah. of pressure to put on. But they got the pressure he's feeling. He's got a car full of kids. He packed up everything he owns. And to think about that, that is a kind of those are the stories I like about how like okay, they made it. And you think about Rikishi now, WWE Hall of Famer. It all worked out. Um, but it definitely it's a sacrifice. And I think it's anything we were talking about this last week. Um, I had Jarrett from Bowling for Soup on. And he was talking about like, yeah, he goes, when we decided to be a band and like do this, we were like, okay, we won't be home for Christmas. We're not going to be home for graduations, birthdays, funerals. He's like, this is it. This is what we do every day. And, you know, we're on the road. And you you think about it like, you know, 
it's very easy. And I, as comedians, you could do this too. Well, we, you could sit back and be like, okay, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I could do that. Or, you know, well, why does he get this? Because you don't see the, the, how he got there. Exactly. Like everybody likes to, I'm a Dane Cook fan. Everybody likes to bash Dane Cook and, you know, call him a joke thief and all this. But what they didn't see was that every night he was on stage and, and when he was off stage, he was putting together a website and building a, a presence before social media even. And for 15 years before he blew up. Yeah, I mean, that's 15 like, years. They think that he was like this overnight success. No, I mean, I have 15 years in now. Yeah. And, you know, dare I say, I don't think I, I well, I know I didn't hustle as hard as he did. It's funny because I just got back last month. I was in Florida. I was doing Laugh-In Comedy Cafe in Fort Myers, and I was featuring, and the headliner uh, was a guy named Dean Napolitano, hilarious. They had a different host for each show, because that's how many comics there are in Florida. And then there were two guest spots per show. Now, you know, coming from Long Island, just like me from New Jersey, working the Long Island clubs, more often than not, when you hear guest spot, you go, oh, shit, this is going to be, this is going to be awful. Especially now. This is root canal. You know, and uh, yeah, right. And in some cases, the hosts. Uh, but these comics, you know, <clears throat> no bow ties anywhere to be seen. And the best part about it was they were all phenomenal. They were doing five to seven minutes. And then I'm talking to them after the show. And I'm like, where do you live? And they're like, oh, I'm in Jacksonville or I'm over here. Like some of these guys were driving and girls three hours to do five to seven minute yeah. guest spots. And you say to yourself, like, wow, I took it for granted for so long. I really did. I rested on my laurels because I had one club that was my home club that I knew that I could get at least three dates a month to just go up. And even if I wasn't getting paid, just if I wanted to work on stuff. And, and you know, you, you know, had a similar situation. Uh, yeah, situation we, that, we kind of have the same background that, that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you, you go out there and you see it and you go, wow, like that inspires me to to want to do better. And the next time I do get annoyed – or the next time I do get an offer for something that I go, eh, well, you know what? The pandemic's changed everything. Maybe now I will go out and take that. <laughs> I mean, it really has uh, as far as comedy wise, like, you know, uh, you're taking what you can get and you, you want to perform, you want to get on stage again. And that's really, you know, the sad thing is that I guess for comics, uh, spots dried up and money dried up a little bit. But, you know, what I think the people, the audiences are going to get better shows because, you know, less spots and, and more comics around, it's going to go to, you would think, the top tier first and then, you know, trickle on the way down. But, well, the money, the money dried up, like, in a lot of these outside uh, places. But, I mean, I, I have a hard time feeling sorry for some of the comedy club owners. I mean, I feel sorry for the fact that they, you know, were, were closed down, forced to close yeah. down, like, we were forced out of work. But, I mean, when I work with some of these headliners that are like, yeah, you know, uh, what I'm getting paid this weekend was also what I got paid at this same club in 1985 – you know, it's very easy to now say that the pandemic was the excuse for that. It wasn't going to improve anyway. So to cut it even more uh, is a little crazy. But as far as these outside venues or fundraisers, like I didn't have as many fundraisers this year as I had in the past, because yeah. how are you going to say, all right, well, we're going to put together a comedy show for, you know, the baseball team or the basketball team when we might even have our baseball or basketball season get canceled, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot of mitigating factors that go into it, but... I don't know. Hopefully, we'll be out of the woods with this eventually. I, I don't think so, though. No, I know you. Well, you currently have uh, COVID right now, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, and it's funny because uh, I everybody I was around leading up to this is fine. Yeah. Some are unvaccinated, some are vaccinated, but they're all fine. And some even went and got tested because they have to get tested for their jobs. 
And me, just out of the blue Wednesday night, got very ill. Uh, was up all night, miserable, you know, shivering, fever the whole nine. Thursday morning, went in, got tested for COVID and flu. Both came back negative, but they said to me it might be too early, you know, for the COVID positive. So they're like, come back Saturday if you know better. The sickest I've probably ever been Friday and Saturday, just awful. Uh, you know, hoodie, sweatpants, robe, standing over my fireplace like a homeless person. It was it was brutal. And then Saturday I went in, tested positive for COVID. Uh, lost my taste and smell that day. And uh, I'm a little bit better. I mean, you know, I still had a little bit of a fever earlier, but if you keep taking the day cool and stuff, it breaks. But no, I will say this, though. I have a newfound respect for anybody that got sick with this before the vaccine was available. And when you would turn on the news and literally see body bags stacked in the streets yeah. because my anxiety as it is, I'm like, <laughs> well, that what you if I never get my taste and smell back. Like if I had COVID, then I would have had a nervous break. We actually had a funny text exchange the day you told me because it was the day that uh, the anniversary of Chris Farley's death. You're like, I got COVID. I'm going to die the same day Chris Farley goes. I'm going to love it because you're going to have to post uh, a tribute to me. I'm like, yeah, Farley will always be the top. I always do Farley <laughs> exactly. first. Exactly. Yeah, I want to share the death date of uh, of Chris Farley, but. No, and I sincerely mean that. I mean, I'm not going to get into a whole vaccine debate. I had it before all this, you know, and I didn't know. I test, you know, it's, it, I'm glad they told you to come back. And maybe this this is why I think the people are learning. And we're, as this goes on, we're getting an education because I went. And first of all, when I went, it was like when they were telling you get tested every five minutes. So there was a line already wrapped around the urgent care when I got there. So yeah. the people inside are overwhelmed. They're not, you know, it's like they're dealing with, they gave me a rapid test. Um, it came back negative. They didn't say come back again. They just like, oh, you're negative. And they just like set me on my way because there was like, there's like a, a yeah, mile yeah, long a lot line of people, people they're trying to get to. And what happened was, so I, I, find, I found out like, you know, like later on, like, yeah, you could test negative. You could have, a, you know. And you have to wait like a certain amount of time. I don't think I waited that amount of time. Like if I probably would have tested a couple of days later, I would have tested positive because I then I lost my taste and smell. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, I have it. And then like, you know, but I didn't realize I lost my taste or smell because I was I thought I had a cold. Yeah. So it was like a week later. It was probably like actually like a week, or maybe almost two weeks that I really didn't notice. Like I started noticing like, OK, I'm not really this is not coming back. Mm. And then I was like, I had COVID. That's how I knew it. I didn't I didn't. uh technically test positive for it but i had all the symptoms and when you lose your taste and smell that's pretty much it i've never lost my taste or smell before in my life that i can recall and it's just it's such a weird thing like because i mean one of the the hacks that i i took from you uh when you started your whole you know ww journey and everything like that and with me with the intermittent fasting was the premier protein shake and yeah. the black coffee but usually what i'll do is i'll i'll drink about a quarter of the black coffee first before putting the protein shake in and black coffee has a very distinct taste. So when I took that first sip and was like, Oh wow, this is water. If you can't, like that, if you can't taste black coffee. You're, it's yeah. Like you didn't know how to handle it. And then I would dump like, you know, <clears> vanilla <throat> shake in there. And I'm like, this is, this is the shits, man. I, I can't taste anything, but, uh, I still got food down though. I still managed, I still managed to eat. Not a problem. <laughs> You know, you know, it's weird. Thursday and Friday, when I was the absolute sickest, I really didn't have an appetite, but I could still taste. Yeah. Saturday, when I started to feel like a little bit more like my normal self, is when the taste went. So I'm like, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like daredevil, but with eating. 
Like I can, re- I remembered, I like sense memory of what everything tasted like. And I was just like, no, this is like, this is chocolate. I know exactly what this tastes like. And I almost like remembered and it, it worked. Well, the last time I think I was on your show, I, I was talking about my intermittent fasting thing and I wound up losing a total of 50 pounds. Which and, is amazing, by the way. Yeah, uh, oh, I appreciate that. Um, I've gained about 12 back and it fluctuates. Like, so I'll go between like, you know, right now. I mean, I don't know what I am right now. I'm probably back down again, but like, I'll go between two fifteen to two twenty five. Like, it, it, I fluctuate. In and you're a tall that. guy too. People don't realize, you know, you're over six foot. People gotta yeah, I'm take... six one. So yeah. it's it's funny. When I went uh, yesterday, my mother's a nurse, so she calls me up and she says, "Listen," she goes, "They do this thing called the BAM antibody treatment." She's like, "Go over to the ER." She's like, "See if they'll give it to you." I'm like, "All right, what the hell?" And that's how you know you're really bored. When you're like, I'm just going to take a trip to the ER and see what happens, you know? So I get over there, and uh, first of all, it's hilarious because I tell the woman that she's already got a mask on. I have a mask on. She's behind the glass, and she's in, like, one of those, like, rolling chairs. And she goes, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I tested positive for COVID. And she rolls back in the chair. Oh, fucking come on. Like, how overdramatic are we, right? So there's like four people sitting like in the triage section. She takes my paperwork. She goes, go sit in that room. It was like the playroom so that there were giraffes and lions on the wall. And they send the nurse in and the nurse goes, look, I'm just letting you know uh, they're probably going to deny you the treatment. And I go, why? And she goes, well, because you're vaccinated, number one. And I said, well, wait a minute. So. And again, but I just want to preface this. I don't care if people are vaccinated or not. I actually believe that people should have the personal choice. So it was just my choice to get vaccinated. And he's telling a story, folks. So this is what actually would happen to him. So before we get yeah, like so all. It's not a condemnation yeah. of anybody. This literally that. happened to him. He's telling a story. <laughs> he's telling yeah. exact facts. From so, uh, so I go, wait a minute. <clears throat> I go, society deemed it appropriate for all of us to get vaccinated. I went and did that. And now I'm being punished for it. I go, you're going to go with someone unvaccinated. Give them the treatment. And she goes. No, I understand how you feel. It's not fair. And then I said, well, you know, I'm obese. I said, isn't doesn't that make me immunocompromised? And she goes, you're not obese. And I was like, can you say that again? Hold <laughs> she, on. I got my phone out. I need you to. <laughs> yeah. She goes, well, well, you're not obese. And she goes, I mean, I could weigh you. And then me. And I go, no, no, let's stick with not obese. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I still wasn't going to get it anyway. I mean, thankfully, I am in relatively good health. I don't have any you know, major issues. So. Uh, there are treatments out there, but now they're telling people that are vaccinated, screw it, you're not eligible for them. So who yeah. the hell knows anymore? And this is why people are so divided. Yes. And there is so much misinformation. You know, like I always get mad. I love Howard Stern. I defend him all the time. I know you're a big fan too. Yeah. But like I was listening the other day and he's like, you know, doesn't – don't people remember the polio days? And it's like, well, no. No. Because yes. – <laughs> Because ba- and back then, you know, what was the news like when polio had its outbreak at the turn of the 20th century or whatever? Like it was literally a newspaper and yeah. you saw a guy sticking out of an iron lung like this. So then you're like, shit, I'm going to go get vaccinated. But now you turn on the news last March, you're seeing body bags stacked up outside. But then you're also seeing your neighbor who has covid jogging, walking the dog. So you got to understand that people have different approaches to this shit now. Yeah, I mean, I the, I think that the um, what do you call it? The news and the media definitely play a big part in um, the paranoia. Let's mm-hmm. say, listen, it's it's a very serious illness and disease. People have lost their lives, which is horrible. Um, yeah, I'm not downplaying that, but I'm what I'm saying. It can still happen to me. I have a couple days left. Yeah, but what no, what I'm saying is, I think the media um, does not do its job. 
as far as explaining to the people. Like, yes, but, you know, it's like anything, you know, there's a lot of things that you can get that you could die from that most people won't. But, you know, I think especially with something like this that's so new and that we're coming to grips with this, I mean, it's not going anywhere. This is this is here now. Yeah. Um, I think the media and the government have a responsibility to really, you know, tell us what's going on. And I don't think that's happening. And again, I don't want, I'm not trying to be political or anything. I'm not staying on a soapbox. Yeah. I'm just saying as an observer. Um, what I will say is this. One, one of the things that I read uh, are, you know, a possible prolonged effect from COVID is erectile dysfunction. And I just want to go on the record right now and state <laughs> that if my penis stops working, I'm definitely gaining the 50 pounds back. You know what would be a real <laughs> kick in the ass if my penis stops working and I don't regain use of my taste buds? Then there's just no reason to live. No, you'd be, it's a, be a, no gone. more boners or food. I'm done. I'm tapping out. That's it? I mean, well, what else is there to live for? You can't taste and you can't get hard. What the hell? I don't know. I think there's a couple. Of, you can watch. You can do. You can do your wrestling show, your interview show. Now that the podcast has been rebranded, am I allowed to be edgy you like can, this? You can be edgy if you want to. <laughs> First of all, you can always say what you wanted to say on the podcast. Stop it now, everybody. Yeah, I, I, I thought maybe like you know there'd be some like WW ladies that would get upset. I always talking about hard. I'm sure there is somebody upset right now. I mean, that's just the, that's just the way of the world. I mean, we know that as comics. I just thought of a new name for your wrestling show. It should be called um, "It's Real to Me" by Ryan Moore. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not nearly as bad as that kid is. Yeah, that's you. It's thrilling me. I like it. Listen, I don't want no kick pads, and you know, I want some mat wrestling. I want a, I want a story to be told. Up oh, there's the Ryan Moore impersonation. There again. it is, Ryan Moore. It's real to me. Damn it! You know, it's real to me. I got. What am I, a fucking marionette? Yeah. <laughs> Nick said he's highly offended. My buddy Nick said he's very highly offended. But no. Oh, uh, uh, Nick Greystone, right? Yes. Oh, cool. He's well, not offended. Cool, but no. cool that he's here. Not cool that he's offended. No, he's not He's not offended. No one, listen, if people get offended, then I, I don't know what to tell them. But, yeah. you know, as a comic, though, it is, it's a fine line. I mean, I got a show New Year's Eve. You know, I don't know. I, I still sometimes I, I write out my what I'm going to say and stuff like that. And I hate that, like, when I'm writing material, I'm editing myself. I hate that. Like, I should be able to go up there and, and say what I want to say. It's funny because I remember you always used to make, like, a set list uh, kind of a deal. Yeah, like a professional. And, oh, well, no, <laughs> but I, I never had to. I'm joking. I'm that it's no, no, no. But I, I, I never had to until uh, that first time I did 45 well, I don't, actually, it was before that. So the first gig that I did was maybe a couple months after the lockdown. Brad Trackman got me this outdoor gig in Philly, and I was doing – I was splitting the time with him. So he was doing a half hour. I was doing a half hour. And it was like there was so much shit that I wanted to get to that I just couldn't remember. And then as more shows started happening like seven or eight times, I'm like, wow, I'm forgetting bits. I never used to do that. But it had been a long time since yeah. I had been up. So. Now I actually like when I was in Florida for those six shows I I I made like little set lists because I said you know what like they're bringing me back to headline but as the feature I want to show them that I have enough time to headline so I'm like for this show I'm going to do X Y and Z and then for this show I'm going to do A B and C and you had to do it I mean of course there's certain stuff that I'm going to throw in every set because I know that it's some strong stuff but yeah no now I have to do that and yeah for me it was I just got into the habit of doing it from when I first started, because one of it is my own, uh, you know, fear. 
Yeah. That I'm not going to remember what I'm going to say. And it's, a, it's like a safety blanket. I don't bring notes up with me, um, but it's just that that I go through it. And it's yeah. weird. Like, I'll be looking at my set. After I write it, I'm going over it. And I am, as I'm reading it, I forget. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to forget. And they're like, but it's just something like I go on stage and it's back there again. It's just that, that panicking, that anxiety I get before I go on stage, and I, I need to just write that out so I it's in my head like in that that order. You um, ever start? You ever start a bit and and it's a you know it could be a bit that you've done two hundred times and then just forget it. Yeah. You're in. Oh, oh that's, that's, it happens to me all the time. That's the shits, man. And I'm like, oh, and you're on that stage. Happened me, that happened to me at one of the Bird and Betty shows this past summer, and I actually, you know what, I got so far into it that I was like, I forget how the rest of this goes, and that actually got a laugh, which was good. <laughs> well, especially then, now. I mean, coming out of not yeah. doing comedy for a while, it, it happens to me more now than it did before. Yeah. No, I mean, and there's certain it's like stuff that you know you just never would think. That, you know, would happen. I, and also, too, and I think it's because of stress. Like, so one of the Jank shows that I had Mark Riccadonna uh, headline, I love, I, I don't do them on stage, but I love, like, old school joke jokes, you know? And I always have one ready to go, usually. And Mark Riccadonna just lit the place on fire um, when he worked for me at Jank's this past summer. And for the <laughs> last five minutes, he's like, I want all the comics that were here tonight to come up and do their favorite street joke. And... John Pavarama went up, did his, Rick Adana did one, and then it was like me. He saved me for last. And I'm like, while Pavarama was doing his, I said, Mark, I can't, I can't fucking think of a street joke. Like my mind's a blank. And then like he goes, What oh, I'm sorry. I, and I go, No, don't be sorry. I'll think of something. And then I got up there and I just, you know, threw something out there. But it's weird how, you know, if you're producing a show, there's a different stress than there is if you're just performing on one. I'm sure if I had just been performing and didn't have to worry about running everything that night, it would have just came out naturally, but you know, it's different little aspects that as you evolve and keep moving forward, you learn about. <laughs> hey, making fun of the day. Okay. Oh, I'm not making fun of it. I'm yeah. trying it. In. Okay. Okay. Like a shopping network host. What Ryan's talking about, he mentioned, you heard him mention Jenks, Bird and Betty's. Ryan puts together comedy shows down at the Jersey Shore, especially in the summer. Great summer series at Jenks, which if uh, you have ever heard of it, you might know it or heard of it from Jersey Shore fame. Um, the cast and crew have hung out there before. Uh, scenes from the show have been shot there. And then Bird and Betty's in Long Beach Island. Uh, he had a weekly show there as well. Um, so you're really putting on, you know, especially in that area, you had shows at Bar A. Um, you're really starting to put on a lot of shows. Are you, you going to branch out from the summer and maybe start doing more in the winter and the off season, Or is it down there just like it's really a summer town? Well, it, it's a summer town. They're, 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 I'm, I'm kind of talking right now with uh, somebody who bought an existing place okay. that's known for wedding venues, as a wedding venue, private parties and stuff, but there's a hotel attached to it. And we're talking now about possibly um, doing a comedy club in one of those rooms that he has. And it would be good because I'd be able to bring in different acts, put them up. Uh, you know, cause literally it's in the same venue, you know, they would just walk from the show up to their hotel room or whatever. You know, the thing is though, is that I never, I'm a comic first producer second. I have, I love producing the shows, but at, the reality of it is, is that I want to spend my winters, you know, being a road comic and, yeah. and taking as many gigs as I can. And if you have a responsibility of doing something like that here, you know, you can't really do that. I'm not against it. I'm always open to the conversation, but, uh, the Jenks and Bird and Betty's things, they keep me very busy in the summer, which is good because, as we all know, traditionally, 
you know, summer is the slow time for comedy, at least before pandemic. I feel like there's a whole before pandemic and after pandemic kind of a deal. And I think that everybody's going to see comedy kind of become more popular in the summer. Because look, I mean, I was in Austin, Texas in October. A couple weeks after that, I was in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. The warm weather climates, the people are going out. There was a couple at my Thursday night show at the Laugh-In Comedy Cafe. They came up to me afterwards because there was a couple in the front row. The guy was 84. The woman was 79, and it was their first date. So I had a field day with them. (laughs) And I spent like 10 minutes just working them. And then after the show, this other couple comes up, and the woman goes, uh, I'm Carolina from Canada. And I went, oh, hi, Carolina from Canada. And she goes, you didn't talk to me and my husband at all. And we have them beat. We've been married 71 years. Oh, my God. And I went, what? And they came up. And I mean, the man looked incredible. She looked incredible. And they were married 71 years. And they they they're snowbirds in Florida. And they went out to the Thursday night show. So I'm noticing that the warm weather climates, I mean, people are less afraid of COVID. They're out and about. So I think maybe, especially in New York, New Jersey, you might see, you know, the outdoor shows, especially kind of flourish in the summer. And I just think people are going to go out more. I mean, right now, I don't know what it's like up in Long Island, but right now in New Jersey, my friends that own or manage bars are sending out texts like, well, enjoy it while it lasts, because I have a feeling we're getting locked down again. I mean, I, I, the same fears. I mean, you know, just today they posted something on Long Island that we have like the highest rate in New York or something. I don't know. Um, but they always, you know, and then, but again, you go around on Nassau County. I mean, the New York State has a mask mandate. The governor yeah. came out and said that, and the guy who's coming in Nassau County, the executive, is like, "Yeah, I'm not enforcing that." That was yeah. like, so we, it's like a different. Long Island's different than the rest of the of the um, of the state. We're kind of like our own, we do our own thing. Um, well, it's like Staten Island. I mean, it's a borough of New York City, but I mean, you know, they're not checking people's vax cards. Yeah, it's kind of similar to that aspect where it's like you know, it's, you know, working class here, and you know, they it just it's it's a little different. Um, but no, I haven't heard it. You know, I, I don't go to bars. So, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to, to comment on that. But they had SantaCon this weekend. And I was just from watching Instagram stories. It looks like everybody's out having a good time. Yeah. I mean, who knows what they're going to do. But like you so were saying. Even when you were younger, though, you never participated in any of that stuff? I did. Like, I mean, I met you. Not SantaCon. Okay. Not, not that ridiculous. That stuff just is not me at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I I've done stuff like that, but I mean, I've I've kind of outgrown that. I feel like ever ever since I don't want to say when the pandemic's over. I keep I have, and I've caught myself saying that, like, well, since the pandemic ended, since the mandated lockdown ended, yeah, I, I've noticed a lot of uh, changes in myself, and I talked about some of them the last time I was on here. I mean, some of them I had to make. There was no way I would be able to lose fifty pounds if I was keeping up that lifestyle. But I also feel like there's almost like a like an agoraphobic kind of a thing that said it. And I mean, I was able to go to Texas and I was able to go to Florida and stuff like that, but I just, I kind of like being home now, man. It's weird. I never used to, I never, I always used to be like, Oh, I got to get out. I got to do stuff. I got to go see this person. Now I'm just like, eh, I'm, I'm chill. Yeah. Like, I'm cool with just sitting home. <laughs> I can't handle the cold anymore. I'm, I'm literally becoming that Walter, the widow, widower character that I created last year. I get what you're saying, like, as far as the whole, you know, that, that that stuff. But I never was, like, a guy who went out a lot. I mean, I used to go out my early my late early to late 20s, I went out. Um, but when I started being 30, I mean, I didn't I didn't want to do anything anymore. I mean, I, <laughs> but I actually I started comedy around that time. So it's like, you know, I guess 
I don't know. I go out when I do shows, but I really don't want to do anything else. I'm not a guy who's into bars, and I think it's a different scene, though. You're from the Jersey Shore. That's it. It's um, I guess that's kind of equivalent. People from I I equivalent to Long Beach here. Like there's Long Beach in New York, and um, that's like a party town, and people move to Long Beach because they like being at the beach and going out every day in the summer. I think it's kind of like that whole thing, or like you go out to the Hamptons. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, definitely where you are, I think, is more if you don't like to hang out, you shouldn't be living where you live because it is like a party like all summer long. Yeah, I mean, in the summer and I would find stuff to do in the winter. But now I for me, you said it was 30 for you. For me, it was 35. It seems like for most people, though, it is 30 because I would have buddies of mine that'd be like, I can't do it anymore. And I'd be like, ah, come on, pussy. And then I hit 35 (laughs) and I was like, oh, no, now I hit the wall. So I guess most of us do have our day. But then I look at certain buddies of mine that are like 50 and up and they're still going. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) How how are they doing that? That's that's the uh, Uh, that's the question. You know, I don't I don't. I don't see nothing or say nothing, you know? But what you were saying before about comedy coming back, I think, stronger this summer. What I think also happened was that when people were, you know, locked in the houses, they went on Netflix, they went all these streaming services, and a lot of them watched stand-up. So now you're coming out of it, and now you can actually go see these people live. I think that's going to help stand-up as well uh, going forward. Yeah, and all those people will go, and they'll... They'll book opening acts that aren't funny and, uh, you know, because they're insecure and it doesn't do anything for you and I. You know, am, I am I wrong? Hey, you know what? You know? I, I don't listen, I don't comment on that stuff um, because like, who am I to say who's funny and who's not funny? Well, no, but look, here's how I gauge it. That's, how I I look. that's, that's I my opinion. That's anyway. No, I know. And, I, and you know that I feel the same way for the most part. There are a lot of comics. I'm a booker now. Are, you know, I'm booking shows. I got, you know, send me a tape. Oh, yeah. there's, there's, <laughs> there are a lot of comics that personally might not be my cup of tea, but I respect the fact that they get the job done and they have audiences. But we know for a fact that there are situations where there are like A-list level guys and girls that purposely book somebody that they know yeah. will not wow the crowd. And look, we've I'm not going to mention names and, and I know you wouldn't either, but we've seen it happen. I mean, we've literally witnessed headliners that had said, oh, yeah, that guy's really good. But, you know, I kind of really prefer somebody a little more. And it's like, oh, no, you want somebody that can't kill. And uh, I never understood that mentality. And that's why even in Florida, I'm going to I'll be man enough to admit it. My confidence, I feel like, is just about where it was since before the pandemic. Okay. But, I, it's still not a hundred percent there. And when I was seeing, you know, a kick-ass host go up, two solid guest spots, and then I'm the feature. It's like, all right, I gotta bring it. And then the headliner, Dean Napolitano, he said it to me. He's like, oh, that felt good. He's like, because they got a great show from start to bottom. And I go, that's the way it should be. But even as I was witnessing that, I was like, oh shit, man. Like I gotta go follow now. Instead of just one host, I'm following three comics that all just did great. You know, so I like that challenge. Um, I do too. I always like being on a show with a lot of talented comics and, um, you know, I don't, I never got, you know, down on myself or nervous that I couldn't follow anybody. I mean, I've had, I had to go on it to Kevin James. I mean, so there's a situation where nobody cares who the next guy is, but I was like, I took, I volunteered the spot. I'm like, give it to me. I'll take it. Um, cause I wanted that challenge. I want to be able to bring him back and here it is. The show is still going on and that's just my, you know, comedy, like, I'm very confident in my ability and I will, you know, welcome challenges like that. And plus, uh, I always think that the show, if it, 
I, I want to have the best show. Like, I, you know, especially if I'm booking a show or even when I, when I was headlining, I always wanted like the best comics possible on that show because I wanted the crowd to have a good experience the whole time. Like, okay, that host was awesome. The feature was amazing. And like, you know, and then you, you deliver in the headline spot because I remember when I started hosting and featuring, you know, I always wanted to do the best job possible. I never went out there to try to bury, and I'm not trying to like, you know, take the spotlight or anything, but you're still trying to do the best you can. And then when I started headlining, the people who would come to the shows started coming to see me headline because they gotten to know me over the years and they really, you develop like a, a rapport with the comic. And I think it's kind of getting lost right now. That's my opinion. Well, I look at it from the standpoint of the casual person, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that the way that the comedy clubs survive is if the casual person's buying tickets yes. to go. Yeah. The fans of comedy are going to go see who they like to see, but you need the casual people. So two years ago, I go to visit my best friend, Stephanie out in Ventura. I'm doing some business in LA, but I'm going to stay with her for a few days in Ventura. So she has a friend who puts shows together at Ventura Harbor Comedy Club. She gets me this spot on a Thursday night, paid like a hundred bucks. They wanted me to do 15 minutes. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. But it was not an open mic. It was a booked show, but they were like open mic level comics, right? And they're going up like one after the other doing five minutes and just tanking. And people are sitting there and just being like, oh my God. So then I go up and I have my set or whatever. And the funniest part was Stephanie had told a bunch of her girlfriends like, oh, my buddy Ryan from Jersey's coming, come to the show. The one girl literally says as she's getting into the Uber, she opens up the, the back door and she goes, Ryan, thank you. She goes, you saved the night. The show was so terrible. <laughs> oh, but you were great. Gets in. The driver was one of the comics on oh. the show. So she's texting yes. Stephanie and she's like, you're not going to believe this shit. And I said, you know what? I'm a comic who sometimes rideshare drives, but I would never turn the app on in the parking no. lot after I just did the show. No. And he literally turned to her and was like, oh, you didn't think we were very good, huh? Like made it even more extra cringy. And <laughs> I just said to myself, I go, see, now what that does is that makes even me look not as serious, not as professional, because that's what I'm working with. Like, have some respect for the show. Yes. Don't put somebody up for a guest spot if you don't think that they belong in that position, because the people in the audience don't know that, especially if you're introducing them as a guest spot. You don't want to say, oh, this is a new comic. You don't want to set them up for disaster, but you also don't want to give them bullshit fake credits and, and make the audience think that they're going to see something that they're not. So there is a, a balance to it, definitely. Well, I just think some people just think that anybody could do this, and oh, that's where happen. that that's where that gets lost, you know, especially when you're booking a show. And, oh, but this guy, you can do it. Well, yeah. especially if you're Italian. I mean, if you're Italian and you want to talk about, you know, Nana sauce and... Yeah, uh, gravy and... and uh, furniture and, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra and Jesus Christ shaking hands. I mean, basically... Yeah. Or sending it, you know, if an Italian was going to do it, it'd be over, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, send an Italian to end something. Yeah, I get it. All that stuff. My favorite now are all like these Instagram. Uh, it, it, for a while, it was just the men, but now all the women are getting into it. Like, and they, they all have like Italian gimmick names and the big hair and the, the earrings and they chew the gum and they're like, so I'm Italian, right? And Christmas <laughs> Eve is coming up. And I, oh God, I told grandma, you ready to get the baccalat? I'm like, oh my God. And then I look. And it's got like 5,000 likes. Yeah. And I'm what, what the, like, ugh. No, right. That's what's popular right now. And listen, all that, but that was always popular. 
that kind of yeah, stuff but it was always did well being done by the masters and i'm even going to include vic di Battetto in that because he was a, but now everyone's doing it i mean like it's it's now well that's what happens you get copycats yeah but there's only so much you could pull from in that you know what i mean well it's it's, it's, it's... It's the same jokes. I mean, of course it's it is. It's literally the same jokes. So I'm Italian. Do we have any Italians in here? Yeah, Woo! You're, you're in New Jersey. There's a good chance that yeah. there's going to be some Italians in here. Are you here. on the East Coast? Because you're going to yeah. find one. You know, and it's uh, – don't even get me started. I might want to get you started. This is <laughs> Ryan talks his way out of the business. I like this. What, uh, Keep moving forward out of the business. <laughs> no, I don't I'm, work for any of these jo- people. I'm joking with you. No, I know. I know, uh, but it's just, uh, and look, some of the, some of the people do it very well, but some, it's just like, oh, now you're, know. now you're booking shows. You're like the, you know, they got to come to you now. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of them won't because, you know, I, there, there's already been, you know, one club owner in particular who pretty much told people like, if you work for him, you're not working for me, which, you know, a few people yourself being one of them, uh, stood up and said, well, that's bullshit. Because again, it's that pick and choose kind of a thing, you know, uh, they'll only do that with the people they know they can get away with it with. Yeah. yeah. I've always been like, you know, if someone's good to me, I'm good to them. And yeah. But you know what, though? Like, it was certain things I will be respectful, you know? Yeah. But, like, if you're going to start, if you're going to disrespect me in any way and try to screw me over, I don't need it. Like, I, yeah. I don't. And maybe that's why I'm not as successful in comedy as I should be. But um, I got peace well, you know of what, mind. You know what got to for me? And I'll say this, like, uh, so I did, a, I've done, I've been doing this 15 years now, right? So I have not had a New Year's Eve gig. Well, I mean, last year didn't count. Yeah. Uh, but I want to say that I worked the New Year's Eve before the last New Year's Eve that I worked within the last couple of years. I remember saying to myself, wow, I would have made more money if I had driven Uber tonight. And it was one of those shows like like the best New Year's Eve show that I had. Uh, I had done Catch a Rising Star in Princeton. I headlined the club at 8 p.m. And then they sent me upstairs to this big, huge banquet room where they had me open for Bob Nelson. But the problem was was that there was a band playing and there were 400 people dancing, getting down. And then they literally told them band to stop people sit down. Now it's time for comedy. So those people fucking hated us. Like, like they were sold a package by the hotel and they had the band go on first. It should have been the opposite. (laughs) So that was the best and worst new year's Eve because (laughs) I kicked ass in the club at 8 PM. And then the second show was just so terrible that it ruined it. And the money was phenomenal. And I kind of said to myself that night, I'm like, ah, well, chalk it up to the money. And then the following year, the money wasn't great somewhere else. And the show wasn't that great. And I was like, eh, you know, now it's got to be like, I have to leave the house and make it worthwhile. Because otherwise, I really would rather just drive drunks around on Uber, make a thousand dollars and call it a night. Yeah, well, I get what you're saying. I mean, I'm I actually I got to. On New Year's Eve, I'll be up in Glens Falls, New York, at the uh, Charles Wood Theater. Oh, Hacksaw's hometown. Hacksaw's hometown. You can go to firstnightoffunny.com for tickets and information. Really excited about that. I did this. This is actually the last New Year's I worked before um, COVID hit. And I was at the same the same low, um, same venue. It's, I, I had a blast. And I like it because the shows are over by 11. Because what up there in that town... Like the restaurants and bars, it's a big thing for people to go there and celebrate New Year's. Not at the comedy club, like ringing the New Year's. So they go to a comedy show, then they go out to the to a restaurant. Yeah. Um. So I was in my hotel, my in my bed by eleven thirty. Yeah. 
I watched the ball drop. I went to bed. I got up early and drove home the next day. And that's the same plan I have for this year. Yeah. Um, but I always enjoy working New Year's Eve. I like doing the count, even the countdown on stage and stuff like that. I always enjoyed that stuff. Did I ever tell you about the the New Year's Eve that I headlined Uncle Vinny's? No. <laughs> with an I, with an, is, is that with an IES? <laughs> uh, Vinny's, Vinny's with an IES. IES. Jindan. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's the promo um, I'm putting out for this week, too. <laughs> oh, please. I'm kidding. No, I don't care. So, I know. So anyway, I, I mean, you know, I, I had started, quote unquote, headlining, closing out shows. And I know now that this was basically his way of saving money on New Year's Eve. But it was like, oh, we're going to we're going to give you the spot headline New Year's Eve. OK, but he didn't tell me that there wasn't going to be an opener. So I only had I mean, I had just put out my CD. So if I had an hour of material, maybe 35, 40 of it was like solid. And I was like, all right, I could do some crowd work, whatever. So he brings me on the stage at 10.30. And I'm not thinking at the time, wait a minute, he wants me to do the countdown at midnight. So I'm going to be up there <laughs> for an hour and a half, which I don't <clears throat> care if it's, you know, a master. Like, I mean, I, I could listen to Chappelle for an hour and a half, but that's probably yeah. just about it. Like, I don't care how great the comic is. More than an hour is just a yes. lot, you know? It's a lot of, so uh, what do you do, where you're from? <laughs> oh my God, dude. And it was like, and it was New Year's Eve. They were already exhausted. And you know how that place is. So it was BYOB. So, you know, they had shitty spaghetti and brought in like Gatorade coolers of vodka. And so they're hammered. And like, it's 1112 or 1113. I looked at the clock and he's standing there in his fucking chef pants with his arms folded. <laughs> I remember going like, I literally just said, I go, I'm running out of shit, but I was like already out of shit. And so he's there doing do crowd work, do, do crowd work. Yeah. And so I, I, I got to gotta flip the check and hold on. <laughs> I got to, I got to get the bagels ready for the continental breakfast. I got I got I got to microwave that scrambled eggs. <laughs> so anyway, long and short of it was, it was the funniest thing because like I wound up getting through it, doing the countdown. I mean, but it was brutal and they could tell I was sweating. Um, but then the people were pissed because it was like he gave them cold coffee and bagels as part of the continental breakfast. But yeah, I mean, it's ahead so of I my time, kind of... uh, iced coffee, ahead of my time. You know, yeah. I, I invented that's the night I invented iced coffee, cold brew. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that kind of scarred me for the New Year's Eve gigs. I mean, I've done a I've done a couple cool ones. Um, I did one like at a theater in upstate New York one year that was pretty cool. But you know, I want to be close to home. Plus, it, you know, you always have that irrational fear of driving far on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Which... So when I ever did like a road one where like I was far away from home, um, and I didn't have to be there at the end, I would leave right after my set. Because yeah. I mean, I the same place we're talking about. I play, did a couple of New Years there, yeah. And so from Point Pleasant to where I am on Long Island, at night it's about an hour and forty five. So like I would leave the second after my set, and I'd always be like on the Verrazano when New Year's hit, yeah. Which is not, I mean, I'm still in Brooklyn, but I'm not traveling you know an hour and a half but it was just cool i always remember like being on the bridge and seeing all the fireworks going off from from up there which is pretty cool but i always tried to be home before close to home before that happened like here i have a hotel room which is down the block so i mean i'll be i'll be safe and it's a depressing holiday for a comic too especially if you're doing like you know 
the wisecrackers in yeah. Allentown, Pennsylvania. Like I'm like, I'm starting my first day of the new year in, in the town that Billy Joel found very depressing, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you kind of get what he was singing about. Um, yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm actually going to wake up tomorrow in the same town where Jimmy Snuka murdered a woman, you know, like it's just not, it's just not where I saw my comedy career going. Yeah, you know the thing too, like with with New Year's, you don't get like if you, if you are in a relationship or anything like that, you don't see your girlfriend on New Year's. You know, like no. the one thing that everybody does. I remember I um, the last time I had a girlfriend on New Year's, her friend was like, "Oh, you must be excited! Like you have a boyfriend to spend New Year's." With. She goes, "No, he's working. He's a he's a comic. He's, he's gonna be, yeah. be working till like two in the morning." Um, which is true. I didn't get home till like two in the morning that night, just from like you know after saying goodnight to everybody, shaking hands, and um waiting to get paid and everything. And I was lucky I was close to home, but still it's like, it's, it's a long night. It's exhausting. Yeah. I've had, I've had three relationships in the 15 years that I've been doing this. And the first one I was with her a little bit before I started doing comedy. And that was the first three years. And then Kate, who I don't think you ever met, but you know, she came to a lot of shows and then the third one was kind of like whatever. But sometimes you see some of these guys, they have women that are, that are really supportive. Like, I mean, I think a Kevin Israel off the top of my head, his yeah. wife, Ashley is just awesome. And she comes to a lot of the shows. Um, and like, she was just at when we just did the catch grand reopening in October and he's up there and Kevin's super funny, but like, you know, she's laughing at bits that I know she's heard before. And I'm like, wow, like she really, admires her husband for doing this that's yeah, not that's you gotta a, find somebody like that especially in that's this a business very rare thing to find because if yeah. you talk to most of the comics i mean we know a lot of married comics that uh, we don't even know what their wives look like because <laughs> they never <laughs> come out so it's like well it's uh, also yeah i look at it this way too you're at a job you know like i wouldn't bring my wife to my job like my, my day job well, it's that, that true too, but I mean, like when we're talking about New Year's Eve or weekends and stuff, I mean, there are a lot of places we perform where even if the venue might not be the greatest, there might be cool stuff in the area. Yeah. Like, like my ex Kristen, whenever I would do stuff like in the, when Bob Levy had that club in Levittown, Pennsylvania, she'd be like, all right, well, I'll go shopping at the King of Prussia mall. Like you can find things to do together because let's face it. I mean, a lot of those weekends, uh, Oh, I remember when I used to do City Steam up in Hartford. I'm like, okay, how many times can I go to the Mark Twain house? Like, what the hell is there for me to do in this town? There's you nothing know? to so, do in that town. Cause... No, so at least if you have, if you're in a relationship and you have somebody who travels with you, you can go and you can find those kinds of things. But I mean, it's easier said than done. I, I did a City Steam, and um, so I was leaving with the headliner. Um, it was actually Carol Montgomery, um, okay. who's got on Women of a Certain Age on, on Showtime right now. It's doing very well. Uh, so I should have just, I said, we left, I'm like, oh, I should, I wanted to get like, like a, there's a pizza place, like a couple places down and I wanted to get like a couple pieces of pizza and, and like have a couple of beers. I said, I we're just leaving. I should have just picked up something here, but I forgot. Like, you know? Yeah. So she's like, oh, they'll have beer at the pizza place. So I go in there, I order the, the, the beer and the guy's like, I can't sell it to you. And I'm like, well, here's my ID. I'm thinking like, I'm like, I'm 20, you know, I was like, I'm like 30 something years old. And he's like, no, it's it's after midnight. And she was like, just give him the beer. He's like, go right down the hotel room. Like, you know, it's like they wouldn't they wouldn't sell it after a certain amount of yeah. a certain time at night, which is crazy because coming from New York, you can get about just about anything any time any time of day, night, whatever. Well, in New Jersey, you can't. I mean, you can't get beer at a convenience store or whatever. It has to be at a liquor store, and those close at nine thirty. So really? That's even, oh yeah, like in Jersey. I mean, there's certain bars that do package goods, but like. You know, the, they're few and far between now, too. But, yeah, like the, all the liquor stores are shut down 9, 30, 10 o'clock. How does that work with Drizzly? You have Drizzly in Jersey? 
I haven't used Drizzly in Jersey, but I did use it again. My friend Stephanie during the yeah. pandemic, we went out to uh, she had a business trip in Siesta Key and I had just performed in Florida the week before gotten home. She's like, you want to meet me back out? She's like, I got the Airbnb. I'm like, all right. So I actually landed before her, got to the Airbnb and I was like, you know, I don't have a car. Where can I get booze? And she told me all about Drizzly. And then they came and they delivered. So I haven't tried to use that in Jersey. I'm sure it exists. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm sure it's probably within the hours. Of okay. And my, bro- my brother uses it. It's like the, it's, you know, it's like Uber Eats, but like for, for booze. Yeah. Which is easier because yeah, no, you don't have to carry. You know, think about it. You got to, it's, you buy, if you buy them for a party sometimes, it's easier to go on the app and they deliver it and you're all set. I love and... I love how this has, this podcast really has had a rebranding. We went from all health talk to beer talk. I like it. This is good. Why you, well, you got to break the <laughs> breaking the fourth wall? <laughs> I'm just playing with you because the last time I was on, we were having a lot of fun talking about how like I couldn't drink anymore and I couldn't whatever, and now I'm just like, oh my god, like we're talking about drizzly. Well, here's the thing: I would I'm not just saying that you, but with a lot of weight loss journeys, in the beginning, you cut out a lot of stuff. Yes, you do. And then, like, as it goes on, to sustain that for whatever it is for a long period of time is hard. And you will uh-huh. start, like, okay, I have to now figure out a way to live my life but and still, you know, be healthy but still be able to enjoy, you know, whatever I enjoy. Um, like, my brother just well, told- you know, It's also funny, and I think I've told you this in private, in our, one of our many private conversations. I was never, even at my all-time heaviest, I was never a big beer guy. I loved vodka. Yeah, no, you're not a big beer stuff guy. Stuff like that. Know, yeah. But now, because I want to not black out, I would mix it, you know, I, I instead of doing vodka and whiskey all the time, I'd go out on Sundays now, especially if I'm going to watch, you know, the one o'clock game, the four o'clock game, I'm drinking beer. And I've developed an appreciation for beer that I never used to I have. I become like a connoisseur. It's like, you know, well, this is a little hoppy. It's a little hoppy, this one. I like it, though. It's good, you know. It's got a good flavor to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I like a good stout. I don't I like know a good why. A stout I'm, once I'm in a while. You know, it's a little hoppy, but, you know. You're such a dick. But anyway, I, uh, I so now I'm like, oh, great. I lose 50 pounds. And now I'm going to put it all back on because I like the taste of beer. But now I can't taste anything. So hopefully we'll, well hopefully uh, you get better soon. My, my brother actually just told me that I can now um, you can Uber eat cigars. Really? Yeah. Which is it's dangerous. Um, <laughs> that I can just, what, you know, what are you at now? Only like nine a day, right? I don't even smoke nine a week. What are you talking about? <laughs> the summer is always more because you're outside. But like yeah. you know, this is now actually. I didn't. I'm not gonna have one today. I didn't, you didn't have, have one today. No, I didn't have one yesterday. I'll oh. have one tomorrow and then Thursday and then the you know I, I just woke up. listen. What would be more about what I do? I, I, mean, I love how judgmental you get. You get so angry. And upset. No, I don't get judgment. People That's get judgmental, but they, I don't judge them what they do. You know, well, like, first of all, Anthony, I'm just saying you 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 appreciate this. I do love though now all of a sudden that all these comics and I won't mention names, but I do find it funny now. Like you were the first guy I saw really with the cigar. Now everyone's a fucking cigar aficionado. Now everyone's posting pictures of themselves holding the cigar and blowing clouds. And, and I'm like, Anthony was the first. Now everyone's like, oh, I got this new lighter. Ah, shut up. But yeah, you, uh, you know, it's what go, I like. Back, it's, it's my vice. Yeah. Go back outside and play with your dog. But, uh, <laughs> you on the other hand, I know exactly who's talk. have been the original, <laughs> have been the original cigar guy, you know, not the original cigar guy. This is no, I know, but just at least from what I've seen. So, um, no, I'm, I'm breaking your chest. The reason I remember I read an unauthorized biography of Letterman years ago. 
And they took like, you know, a bunch of interviews that he had done in different publications. And he had said that he had to quit smoking cigars because at one point he got himself up to 15 a day. Now, when I smoked cigarettes, I could do a pack of cigarettes, no problem. I can vape with the best of them. But like finishing a whole cigar for me is taxing. So the fact that people were smoking 15 a day, like that's astounding to me. Yeah, the most I've ever done is four. And how long did that take you? That was like from the afternoon, like one o'clock to like two in the morning. So was that one after another, like constantly burning or? Um, some, well, a couple of times I did it. One time it was like that. Another time it was just like we were hanging out on the porch and I did three, which was one, you know, one after the other. So that's like almost eight hours. Yeah. Um, and then I just lit one. Um, because <laughs> it was late and I was hanging out. Uh, Brian McKenna actually has a comment on Instagram here. Oh, he yeah. says Anthony doesn't have Anthony doesn't post enough selfies with the cigars. Or we want more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, but look, you are passionate. But, but then when I also hung out with you two years ago, um, up on Long Island, like your brother is very into it. Your dad, what what else did he say? He just, You're laughing about something. He goes, "What's easier to finish, four cigars or four pancakes?" <laughs> <laughs> The pancakes, absolutely the pancakes. That's fine. Uh, but my brother's not into it as much. He got it. He's got into it like <laughs> he would want. He wants one like if me and my dad is in there. But a lot of times he can't commit. He says to one because he's yeah, got the kids and everything. Time. And you got mad at me the last time I was over because I'm like, just give me the small one. I'm probably not going to finish it. I enjoy it, but I just after because he while, doesn't look like, you. Re- you don't relax with it. You're standing up. You're like you're like hey, I got the thing. Here. What's going on? Hey, Mister D. We got macaroni cooking in there. What are we doing over here? You're like, it's like you just relax, <laughs> sit down, relax, calm down. I don't like to sit. I, don't, I like to stand. Do I really do this? I, yeah. I do this? this yeah. Is my thing now. <laughs> like you're serving something. <laughs> I'm starting to wheeze. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I I've never been known like like what am I like the dumb waiter? I'm like hey. I don't know, but like the arms start go. I mean, anybody who knows you, you know, I did it at Jenks and they all they all died. I died too because it was so unexpected. I was like, I'd never seen you throw that in before. Oh, you know, I like when you start making up like fake names for friends of mine. Yes, if anybody doesn't know Ryan, uh, (laughs) go follow him on Instagram right now, please. Uh, It's at Ryan Mark Comedy. And Ryan will talk about these New Jersey locals, and none of them have just a first name. It's always like Sally Cheesesteaks. It's, it's, it's Jimmy, always, cheese Jimmy Cheesesteaks. Cheese Dancing Danielle. Bacardi Artie. Like, these are real, these are people, like, you will hear them talking about it like it's their name. Like, it was a given name. That this guy's given name is Bacardi Artie. Like, his mother named him that out of the womb. Like, that's how people talk about him. It's like, you know, Dan, Dancing Danielle. Yeah, one and two and three. You know, there's a couple of them here, yeah. Um, I dated a girl who had the nickname Dancing Danielle because she would jump on stage at one particular nightclub yeah. and always dance with the band or whatever. And all the guys like were into her or whatever. I wound up dating her for a little bit. It didn't work out. Shocking. And then I met a stripper who happened to be named Danielle. I get it. She would show up the bar. Eh? And I nicknamed her dancing Danielle version 2.0. Yeah. Cause it was a little bit of a dig at the original dancing Danielle. There's like tequila Tommy. There's uh tequila Tommy. boardwalk. Billy is the one. That is bo- it boardwalk <laughs> Billy. <laughs> There, is that really a guy or I made that up? No, you just made that oh. one up. They know. There's no Tommy, though. There's, uh, you know, it's, it's, everybody's got a nickname. It's like, a, it's actual. If you listen to Ryan Mar's stories, he'll talk about it like it's their actual given birth name. Well, no? You know, I like characters. It makes life more interesting. I get it. Um, before we go, Ryan, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, what, what's going on? Um, 
plug some I'm stuff. I'm on Instagram at Ryan Mar Comedy, Ryan M A H E R Comedy. That's Ma with an M A H E R. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Ryan Mar Comedy, Facebook, Ryan Mar. Uh, I'm doing a lot, a lot of good wrestling signings coming up. Hopefully, I'll be COVID free by Christmas. January 10th, we're um, doing a virtual signing with Tito Santana and Greg Valentine. Oh, that's a good one. That's going to be a great one. I'm really looking forward to Four that. Intercontinental champs right there. Yeah, and that's going to be champs. badass. Uh, and then I got on January 28th, I believe, Tatanka. And then I don't have all the exact dates in front of me, but I mean, there's a bunch of great ones coming up in February and March. I got Larry Zabisco, Gerald Briscoe, uh, Lanny Poffo. Oh, that's going to be a fun uh, one. Yeah, I think I think actually Gerald Briscoe and Lanny Poffo are together. Um, just so many good ones. There's one I'll actually tell you off uh off off camera because there's okay. one that I think is almost confirmed that's probably going to be like the biggest one yet I think um but yeah so it's it's pretty cool it's different guys from the 80s and and uh you know all the way up through the attitude era and now there's been a bunch of new talent released that became stars over the last couple of years so uh, it was actually Dan Barry who I learned helped create the physical part of my impersonation tonight yeah actually- it was him that you know we started doing <laughs> We were driving down. We did the. It was the Bird and Betty shows, I think. Yeah, it was a. It was a, it was Janks. We were on the Jank. We were on the Jank show together. Bird and Betty's. I think you did both together. It was yeah. It was Janks. Yeah. I forget which show it was. Whatever. We were driving down, and I was doing the impression, and he Dan goes, "Do you ever notice like his arms like go like this a little bit?" So. <laughs> when I, I that night on Jenks, I just did it like and all this, and your friends loved it, and um, it's now part of the uh, impression. Right, even like yeah. when, I'm, when I'm in the house and we're just talking on the phone, I imitate you. I'm doing this. Just know that like I'm doing this in the house when no one sees you. Anyway, it was him who actually, because you know, for those that don't know, Dan, on top of being a, a very good comic, who's been a professional wrestler for many years. He does uh, some stuff kind of similar to what I'm doing, but he does it for a different company. And he said, he's like, you know, there is money to be made on the outskirts of the wrestling business yeah. like that. And so I'm in, I'm really enjoying that. And, uh, you know, got a couple comedy dates coming up in January and February. And uh, it was weird. I had like a really like busy run where I was working every weekend. And then I had to leave a couple of weekends off the table for my nephew's christening because, you know, they had to figure out which date they were going to do for that. Yeah. So now in January, it looks like it's picking up, but I'm going to probably be heading back out to Florida again in February. There's just so much work out there, man. Like just these different bars and, um, yeah. So just keep doing the thing and hopefully we'll be back this summer with Jenks and Bird and Betty's. We'll see what happens. I'll hopefully get some word on that within the next month and see where it goes. All right, man. Well, I want to thank Ryan for joining us here on the Keep Moving Forward podcast. Always a blast to have you on, Ryan. We'll definitely have you back soon. Yeah, then. Uh, so next week you're gonna have I heard the guitarist from Rancid, but maybe the week. I wish I, I really I really <laughs> wish that was the case. You try to make fun of me, but like I would actually really <laughs> like it if um, if Lars is on the show. Absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. All right, man. Well, thank you so much thank for being you, on the bro. show. Everybody, go follow Ryan at Ryan Mar Comedy. I want to thank everybody who joined us on Instagram, everybody on Facebook for episode two hundred four. Of Keep Moving Forward with me, your host, Anthony DiDomenico. As always, the podcast is available at anchor.fm slash podcast. Also, it's available on iTunes. And while you're there, five-star rate and review. Very important, especially now that we change formats, categories, to leave those five-star rate and reviews. You guys are awesome. We finally broke through 
uh, to the top 200 uh, in our new category. So thank you guys so much for being the best podcast listeners out there. We are played in and out each week by Hollow and their single, Something to Believe. My best friend Nick wrote this song. You can check it out on iTunes. And while you're there, listen to his new band, Demon Scar, dropping new music every month. Just released a live uh, live album called Live at Beery's. You can also go to demonscar.bandcamp.com. Long Island, only one place to go for your deli needs, especially this holiday season. That's Finn's Deli, 4646 Merrick Road in Massapequa. Tell my brother Mike you heard the plug on the show. Get yourself an Uncle Cheese, the best sandwich out there. Not just because it's named after me. It really is just that good. Check it out, finsdeli.com. Once again, thank you so much to everybody who joined us here live tonight on Instagram, Facebook, and everybody listening at home on your podcast listening devices. This has been episode 204. I will talk to you soon.